Thank you, choir. You know, as I said, as I sat there listening to that that great old hymn that that I've known pretty much all my life, and many of you probably have too. You know, sometimes we we know songs so well that we just can sing them in our head, and we and we don't always stop to actually think about what the words are saying. Grace and power are in His hands. You know, there, there are some people who would like to be gracious, but they don't really have the power or authority or the resources to do anything about it. And there are some people that have a lot of power and have a lot of authority and have a lot of resources, but they don't have the grace in them to use those to help others. But our Lord has all power, yet is gracious. And so maybe next time you hear that, it'll help you to think about it maybe in a different way, just to realize just how good our God is. And that has nothing to do with the sermon. We're just getting started this morning. But I, I, I just, that came to me while I was listening to that song, and I wanted to share that this morning. And, and with that, we will let our children be dismissed with Miss Lois for a time of children's church, and they look excited. And a lot of little girls. We, we got to find some families that have little boys so we can even, even this out here. The girls are representing. We need, we need to get some, some little boys here as well. And, and, um, but our children are going to go down, and they're, they're going to have a wonderful time of children's worship. Well, unless you've been under a rock, you know that um, a few weeks ago, Queen Elizabeth of, of England passed away, and recently her son Charles was, was crowned as the King of England. Now, the king doesn't hold the kind of power and authority to do the things that the kings of older times were able to do and kings of other countries might have authority or have at one time had authority to do. But, you know, but we think about that. We don't have a king in our country. We, we, our government is run a little bit differently and every country runs it differently. But you read through the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, but also in the New, that there were kings of these different nations, these different lands and some of them were, were not benevolent kings. Some of them were, were, were harsh, were, were um, even tyrants and just ruled with an iron fist. But, you know, as you get to thinking about that, the prophets told of one who was to come, who would be the king, who would be the anointed one that God would send and would establish His kingdom for eternity and would also provide salvation for God's people and provide us a way to God. And people didn't necessarily understand who this, this king was going to be. Even you know, King Herod killed all the little boys that were born in Bethlehem because he didn't want the prophecy to come true that the king was going to be born in Bethlehem, but it wasn't an earthly king that was prophesied. It was the king of kings. And there's so many places in the Bible that talk about Jesus as 
our King. But if you have your Bibles with you today, I would invite your attention to Psalm 2. And we're going to read all 12 verses this morning. Psalm 2. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell you of the decree. He said to me, thou art my, my son. Today I have begotten thee. Ask of me and I surely will give the nations as thine inheritance and the very ends of the earth as thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O king, show discernment. Take warning, O judges. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the sun, lest ye become angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. Father God, we ask that you bless the reading of your word. We ask God that you speak in these moments that we have here today. That you open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds to what you want to say to us. That the message spoken from this place be from you and only from you. Lord, let us see you. Maybe as we haven't before. Or maybe as we haven't for some time. But as we need to see you. You are our king. We worship you today. Use this time for your glory. For your honor. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Now David begins this psalm by pointing out that there has been and will be opposition to Jesus as king. There have been plots against God's people for all times. Why are the nations in an uproar and the people devising this vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. Even David faced opposition when he was anointed as king over Israel. 2 Samuel 5, 17 says, When the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all of the Philistines went up to seek out David. And when David heard of it, he went down to the stronghold. David had been anointed by Samuel to be the king of Israel, but one would come after him whose kingdom would be established forever. And he was opposed just as David was. Psalm 21, 11 says, Though they intend evil against thee and devise plots, they will not succeed. Psalm 74, 23 says, Do not forget the voice of thine adversaries, the uproar of those who rise against thee, which ascends continually. They constantly were opposition building and mounting toward God's people, toward the leaders of God's people, and eventually toward the one that God would send 
who would be the king of kings, who was the king of Jews, who was the anointed one. And, and we still see that today. We still see opposition to what God's trying to do in the world. We still see opposition to God's people. We see people opposing the church at, at all points, at all, from all corners. It, it, it's alive and well. It didn't end back then in the Bible times. Opposition is still taking place against the king of kings. And, it's, and it will until he returns. And verse 2 says, against the Lord and his anointed. The word there, Mashiach in the Hebrew, anointed one. And if you kind of sound that out a little bit, play, play with that word a little bit, Mashiach, Messiah, Messiah, the anointed one, the one that the prophets spoke about. Andrew told his brother in John 141, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated in the Greek means Christ. So here in the Old Testament, he's called Messiah. In the New Testament, he's called the Christ. He is the anointed one. He is the king who was to come. The one that was promised to David that would occupy the throne Forever and ever. But yet he faced opposition from Jews and Gentiles alike. John 9, 15, 15. They therefore cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered and said, we have no king but Caesar. The chief priests are the Jews that hated the Romans. That despised the Romans. That was waiting for the Messiah to come. And free them from the Roman tyranny. From the Roman oppression. And they said we have no king but Caesar. They didn't even recognize who he was. The Christ was among them and they missed it. How many times are we in the presence of God and we miss it? Because we're looking for something else. Well, God, that, that can't be how you're speaking to me. It's got to be something bigger than that. Read the Old Testament about Elijah and the still small voice. God speaking, we have to listen. It may not be the way we draw it up. But he was among them and they didn't even realize it. But you know, God is not deterred by these plots. Because as tough as we think we are, we are no threat to God. And man is no threat to God. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. We've heard that saying, you, you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans. God, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to win the world for you by, by, by this. And God will say, yeah, I've, I've already done that. <laughs> it's called the cross. And Psalm 59, 8 says, But thou, O Lord, dost laugh at them, that will scoff at the nations. Proverbs 1, 26 says, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock 
rescue when your dread comes. God's not afraid of us. He's not afraid of any of his human enemies. Why would he be? And to think that we can even do anything to overcome the Lord. It's foolish. And those nations and those people and those enemies that rose against him. But for his enemies, his laughter will turn to anger. Laughter will turn to anger. Look at verse 5. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. Psalm 78, 50 says, He leveled a path for his anger. He did not spare their soul from death, but gave over their life to the plague. And Psalm 76, 7 says, Even thou art to be feared. Who may stand in thy presence when once thou art angry? You ever been like in... in Stand still traffic and the person in front of you is getting on your nerves and you decide to honk at them and be ugly and, and maybe yell things and then they get out and they're like six foot eight, 350 pounds. And you say, oh, I didn't mean you, I meant the other car. But when we face somebody who's that daunting, what are we going to do against them? And if God is all-powerful, who are we to think that we can challenge Him? Someone tried, and we see how that turned out. His laughter will turn to anger. Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Thank God if we are in Christ, we don't have to worry about that. But those who die without Him, those who oppose Him, those who reject Him, will face His full anger and His full wrath on the day of judgment. But he has established Jesus as king. God the Father speaks in verse 6. But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Psalm 45, 6 says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Psalm 48, 1 and 2 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, the Joy of the whole earth is in Mount Zion in the far north. Jesus is the fulfillment to the promise to David that one of his descendants would establish his throne forever. But it would not be an earthly kingdom. It would be a heavenly kingdom. And he will come back and he will establish his throne, his glory, his kingdom forever and ever and ever. And those of us who put our trust in him, who hail him as king, will be with him. Forever and ever and ever. And Jesus has all dominion. As the king of kings. He has all dominion. First because he is the son of God. And here is God the son speaking in verse 7. I will surely tell of the decree of my Lord. He said to me. Thou art my son. Today I have begotten thee. 
Christ as the Son of God has existed from all eternity. Look at Genesis. Let us make man in our own image. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit have existed. Always have, always will. And we don't have time to kind of discuss the eternal nature of God because we'd, we'd get dizzy thinking about it. But as the Son, Jesus has always existed. He was then begotten of God through His incarnation. Acts 13.33, Paul is speaking and he says that God has fulfilled this promise to our children that He raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second Psalm. Thou art my Son, today I have begotten Thee. And then He was also begotten in the resurrection. Colossians 1.18 says He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself might come to have first place in everything. He is the firstborn from the dead. You say, but we read in the Bible, other people were raised from the dead. Yes, they were. And they died again. Everyone who was raised from the dead died again except Jesus. When he rose from the dead, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he will come back again, not as a baby in a manger, but as a king in his glory. Never to die again. Conquered death, conquered the grave, conquered sin, conquered hell. Firstborn from the dead that he might have first place in everything. And some have suggested that today refers to that day when Christ will be crowned king for all eternity. What a beautiful day that's going to be when we're all just gathered around the throne. And, and in 10,000 years, it'd be like we just got there. And we still have all of eternity to go. Again, we're getting dizzy again trying to think about that. But he will reign forever and defeat his enemies. Verses 8 and 9, ask of me and I will surely give the nations as thine inheritance at the very ends of the earth as thy possession. Thou shalt break with them a rod of iron and thou shalt shatter them like earthenware. Daniel talks about the vision he had in Daniel 7, 13, 14. I kept looking in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven one like the Son of Man was coming and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion, glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And a couple of verses in the Revelation where John is sharing the vision that the Lord gave him. Revelation 12, 5 says that she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And in Revelation 19, 15 says, And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may smite the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the wine presses of the fierce wrath of God Almighty. When he comes back. Like I said. He's not coming as a little meek. Mild baby in a manger. He's coming as a king with a sword. And he's going to slay his enemies. Once and for all. And he's going to establish his kingdom. For his people. 
The word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. And Christians, we are losing the battles because we are not carrying and properly using the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And it is so important that we are armed. He only gave us one offensive weapon in the armor of God because it's all we need is his word. And he is coming back. And by his word, he will destroy his enemies. And therefore, he is worthy of our worship. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. We should bow before him in reverence and in awe. Therefore, Hebrews 12, 28 says, Since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. The word in the Hebrew, yirah, means fear, means a healthy respect. When we talk about reverence, you know, our kids are in scouts. Part of the scout law says a scout is reverent. There's a healthy respect for lots, for authority, for, for those in charge, for each other. But part of scouting is our duty to God. And as Christians, there needs to be a healthy respect for God. We talk about fearing the Lord. And that fear is that you understand that there's a power greater than yourself. And like we said earlier, if you were to oppose him, you'd be in trouble. But because you understand who he is and how powerful he is, you have enough sense to know you're not going to try to oppose him. And there is that respect. There is that reverence. There is that sense of wonder. And then the fact that my king, my all-powerful king, who doesn't need me, and I've sinned against him, yet he loves me enough to show me grace and to offer me the opportunity to come into his presence. Why wouldn't we bow before him? Why wouldn't we worship him with a spirit of awe and wonder? Psalm 5, 7 says, But as for me, by thy, bind, by thy abundant loving kindness, I will enter thy house at thy holy temple. I will bow in reverence for thee. Have you ever met a celebrity? You know, sometimes we have. Or sometimes maybe we see them from afar. And then you, you, you got to make that decision. Am I going to go up and talk to this person? Does this person even want me to go up and talk to them? And if I do, what am I going to say? How am I going to behave? I remember one time in the Atlanta airport, I saw one of my favorite wrestlers. And I decided that instead of going up and talking to him, I was just going to follow him for a little while and see where he went. And... Um, Hey, I had a long layover. I didn't have anything better to do. And, and, I, and I snapped a picture while he didn't know I was doing that. But, you know, 
I don't know what I would have said to him had I gone up and, and decided to do that. But when any time that we're in the presence of like a celebrity or a powerful politician or, or, or whoever it is, somebody who has a lot of, of stature in the world, we kind of get like that little school kid, like we're a little awkward and shy. and We don't know what to say. And we're kind of in awe of that person. But you know what? At the end of the day, that's just a person. Those people are, are, are human just like you and me. And they're not the ones who deserve our worship. They're not the ones, I'm not saying it's not, you know, it's okay to watch their shows, listen to their music, watch their ball games, appreciate the work that they do. But we don't put them on a place that they don't belong. Just like none of us should be put on a place where we don't belong because there's only one who belongs there. And again, a lot of things came to me today while we were worshiping. One of the songs that we sang today, shout to the Lord, all the earth let us sing, power and majesty, praise to the King. And I remember, and this is a long time ago, but almost 23 years ago, um, December 31st, 1999, my, my birthday, I was in Houston, Texas with, we had taken our youth group from our church there. There was a big gathering of youth, thousands were, were packed in this building. There were seven other cities that were linked up um, to bring in the year 2000, to bring in the new century, Y2K. You know, and there were still, you know, some people were nervous about going because they thought the world was going to end, so they didn't want their kids to go. But, but the ones that did, you know, were there, and we're in that building, we're in that place. It's coming down to midnight. The year 2000 is about to begin. And we're in this room with thousands of people, and we're singing, shout to the Lord, all the earth let us sing, power and majesty, praise to the king, and we're singing it, and we're singing it, and we're singing it, and we're worshiping the Lord, and midnight comes, and we're still singing it, because we didn't need to stop our worship of the king of kings to acknowledge something of the earth that wasn't as important and didn't deserve the reverence and the awe and the respect that God Almighty deserved. And when we were done with our worship experience, then we took the time to celebrate the new year. But the worship of God was more important. And if we remember that and we put everything in its proper perspective, things are going to go a lot better for us. Put God first. And everything else is going to work out. But he's the only one that deserves to be on the throne of our lives. And so many times we put other people, we put other things on the throne where God is to sit. And we've got to stop doing that. We have one king. They say we have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Jesus. And if he doesn't occupy the throne of your heart right now, kick whoever's sitting on it off and ask him to come and take his rightful place. 
Because we are blessed if we hail him as king and trust in him. Verse 12, do homage to the son lest he become angry and, and you perish in the way for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. Revelation 66, 16 to 17 says, And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For great is the day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand. Like we said, those who die without Jesus and those who don't know him when he returns, they have to stand before the Lord in judgment and face his wrath. But Jeremiah says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. Psalm 34, 22 says, the Lord redeems the soul of his servants and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And Isaiah 28, 16 says, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. He who puts their faith in the anointed one, the king of kings, will not be disturbed. Paul uses the word when he quotes this verse in Romans, will not be disappointed. Put your faith in anything or anyone else. When you stand before God in judgment, you're going to be disappointed. If you think you could get in another way, but through the blood of Jesus Christ, you're in for a rude awakening. But if you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not be disappointed. And it just makes sense that we would trust our Creator. It just makes sense that the one who made us, that the one who provided a way to redeem us, that we would put our trust in Him. And it doesn't make sense not to. Kind of like if... if if a Chevrolet truck went to the Chevrolet manufacturer and said, I think I'm going to just roll on three and a half wheels. Well, that don't make any sense. You were designed for a certain purpose. You were created for God's pleasure. If we try to live for any other purpose than that, we're not doing it right. Jesus Christ is the king that God has promised. He is a mighty king and a just king, but also a gracious king and a merciful king. We are powerless if we have to stand before him in our righteousness alone, but we are blessed if we stand before him in his righteousness given to us when we put our faith in his work on the cross to secure our salvation. Another wonderful thing about our king. Well maybe what I did say in the beginning. Does tie in with the sermon. Because while he is all powerful. He is also all gracious. And he is our king. And he is our lord. And he is our master. But he is also our friend. He is our friend because. When he didn't have to die for us, he did. He said himself, greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 
And as the choir comes forward, we are going to be singing about that friend. One of my favorite songs. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. He is not a king that keeps us at a distance and says, You can't come in to me. I'm up here. You're down here. You stay where you, where you belong. He's a king that says, My door is open. Come to me. Draw near to me. I will draw near to you. I, knock, I stand at the door and knock. If you open the door, I'm going to come in. And we're going to eat together. He wants us to come to Him. He wants us to be with Him. And He provided a way to make that happen. And that's what a friend does. And to have our King also want to be our friend. You don't see that a lot in earthly realms. But the king of kings, is he the king of your heart today? Is he sitting on the throne of your life? Is, are you taking advantage of the friendship you have with the king of kings? And if not, will you? Maybe God has placed something on your heart that as we sing this final song, you would respond. And I invite you to do that. And I invite you to just let God show you what he wants from you next and respond in obedience as we sing what a friend we have in Jesus.